0: Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant-filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. The ancient Christian greeting was, the Lord is risen, and the response is, the Lord is risen indeed. And so, the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. The Lord is risen the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah! We praise the Lord for His goodness this morning, and I want to share it with you from First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. So, if you have your Bibles and you will turn there with me this morning, we're going to look at First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. And when you found your place in your Bible, if you will, stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter four verses 13 through 18. The apostle Paul here writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep or those who have died so that you will not grieve as Do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, or those who have passed away, those who have died, who Jesus was their Savior. Verse 15 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Lord, we thank you for the public reading of scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to hear the word of God both read to us and preached to us. And I pray, Lord, in these next few moments that you would help me to share what you have placed upon my heart for this day, Lord. And God, that it would be your words and not my own. And Lord, that you would be glorified and you would move according to the power of your spirit. We thank you for it, thank you for this time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you in the Lord's house this morning. Good to be in God's presence. Good to be uh, with others, fellowshipping around uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today really is a day where we think about what the Lord has done, what the Lord has done for us individually, but also what the Lord has done for uh, the church. And at the heart of Easter really is the gospel message. And if you do not know the gospel message, if you haven't heard the gospel message, or you really don't maybe uh, understand when someone says, uh, we share the gospel, or I'd like to share the gospel with you, you're not sure what that is, I want to take a moment here at the beginning of the message and share that with you. In the beginning of time, God created man and woman, and God dwelled with them in the beauty of a garden. We call that the Garden of Eden. Many people, both believers and unbelievers alike, have heard the story of Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden. The Bible says that God planted this garden for Adam and Eve, and he told them, you can eat of anything in this garden that you want, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat of, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One commandment, there was only one sin at that time. One thing that you could do to offend God, just one, just one concern. Don't eat of this particular tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate of that particular tree. And we can kind of push off on Adam and Eve, but I can guarantee you that if you and I were there, we would have done the same thing. We would have sinned in the same way. They broke God's one command, and when they broke God's one command, they broke fellowship with God. So they couldn't be with God, be in God's presence anymore. So God had to remove them from that beautiful garden that he created for them to dwell into. And so their sin became our sin. The Bible says that we were born into sin and that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so sin deserves punishment. God said, In the day that you eat of that particular tree, you shall surely die. And indeed, while they were not immediately physically dead, they were spiritually dead. They were disfellowshipped from God. When we think about death for the believer it's not really the physical death that is as concerning to us as it is the spiritual death that disfellowship from god being separated from the lord jesus christ and so that sin separated us from god and the punishment of that sin is death but god did not want us to bear That punishment. And so Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came and lived on the earth and he lived a sinless life. He lived a life without sin, which meant that he was not under the penalty of sin. He wasn't under the penalty that deserved death. He was an innocent man, the scripture says. He pleased God in all ways. And as Jesus lived upon the earth, there were sinful men who became jealous of the Lord, and they had him crucified on the cross. It was the plan of God that Jesus would die as the punishment for us, that his life would be taken from him as the spotless, sinless lamb of God, that his life would be taken in order that God's wrath would be satisfied. So when we think about the cross, when you look behind me and you see uh, this cross, for us, we kind of think about it maybe in terms that uh, the Bible at times doesn't picture, but at the cross, all of the sin of the whole world, the wrath of God was focused in that historical moment upon a sinless man upon a cross, and the wrath of God, the scripture says, was poured out upon that cross. So what that means is the sin that I have committed and the sin that you have committed, God said, instead of pouring the wrath out upon you, I will pour my wrath, the punishment, the just punishment, I will pour that out upon the sinless, spotless, the scripture calls him Lamb of God or Jesus as we refer to him. So, in that historical moment, the wrath of God was satisfied on that first Good Friday. Because Jesus was God in the flesh and perfectly holy, death was not the end for him but he arose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday that's why we're here this morning we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ we do it every single week this is a moment in the year when we celebrate the resurrection but really that's what every single Sunday is is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have freedom from sin that the wrath of God was poured out on him and not on us That's why some people are so vibrant in their praise because they've been to the depth of sin and saw the forgiveness of Jesus, the washing away of their sin, and they have this vibrant praise because they're so thankful for what God has done. And so what you and I must do is believe what I just explained to you. A work of the Spirit, when we come to Christ, a work of God's Holy Spirit moves us To believe what I just explained to you happened historically in time. And as the Spirit of God moves upon us to believe that and we profess belief in Jesus, however that profession comes, Jesus, I accept your righteous sacrifice on the cross. The Bible says, then we too shall be saved. That is why those of us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ want to share this message with as many people as we can. Because there are only two alternatives in God's plan. An eternity with God in heaven in glory with him or an eternity separated from God in eternal torment and punishment, what the Bible refers to as hell. There's two alternatives. Good works don't get you there. Good works can't get you to heaven, saying, I'm a good person. I've not done bad things. You're, you're not admitting what the word of God says, that we are all born in sin. But when we say by faith, I believe in God's work on the cross that I have sinned and I am deserving of a penalty and Jesus died as a just sacrifice on the cross and all of the wrath of God for every single one of us was focused on Jesus Christ in that historical moment and it was satisfied for me when I believe that by faith. The Bible says that I am now in relationship with Jesus as long as I live upon this earth, I can have assurance that I am Uh, I am his child, and if I die in this life, I have assurance that I will follow him later in the resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. So if we die in Christ, those of us who remain and we reflect upon the death of that loved one in Christ, we have assurance that because Jesus rose, they too will rise from the dead. That's the gospel. If by faith you believe in Christ's word, his death, his burial, his resurrection, you too shall have eternal life. Belief, right? Belief. Believing in something that you can't see, you can't touch, but you have a belief that it is so. Our beliefs have consequences, don't they? If you believe that the earth is flat, that is a consequence to what you're willing to do in a boat, right? If you truly believe that the earth is flat, it impacts what you're willing to do if you go out in the ocean. See, Columbus found this out when his sailors almost committed mutiny because they thought they would fall off the face of the earth. Or did they? That's what we've been taught. Many believe that, that Columbus discovered that the earth was round, but the shocker is that Columbus didn't discover that. It was already well known historically as far back as the ages of the Greeks and Romans that people felt the earth was round. And so you think, how did so many come to believe that Columbus discovered that the earth was round, that it wasn't flat, that everyone thought that it was flat before that time? Interesting historical fact is that in the 19th Centuries, secular scientists who were railing against the ignorance and misguided notions of religious people decided to put forth this interpretation to cause people to think that those who believed in the scriptures thought the earth was flat. Far from the truth, but that fact still persists today, doesn't it? One belief says religious people blindly follow, even against the fact. The other belief says that secular scientists manipulate the data to fit their own conclusions. Belief impacts us. The consequences of what we believe. Belief in Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for sin has consequences. In 2015, there was 140 Kenyan University students who were murdered because they professed faith in Christ. They went to bed thinking about school and woke up understanding that their beliefs have consequences. For them, they're gathered with the souls under the altar who have been slain because of the Word of God and because of their testimony. Because they are martyrs in Christ, their blood is pooled with the other martyrs who are crying out from under the heavenly altar How long, O Lord, holy and true? Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These Kenyans' belief gained each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also out of Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 through 11. Your belief always has consequences. But often we find that our beliefs are not readily identifiable. We often say what we do not believe and believe what we do not say. There are many who warm a pew on a Sunday and say they believe in Christ, but the Christ they believe in is one that is created in their own image. They don't think Jesus would judge them. They don't think Jesus would uh, send anyone to hell, that God loves everyone, and God's plan is just for everyone, uh, except for those really, really, really awful people that everybody thinks is awful. We kind of democratically vote them off the island, that those really awful people, they're deserving of hell, but the rest of us were pretty good people, and we sort of should all uh, find ourselves in heaven. But that's not what the scripture teaches whatever our beliefs are they have consequences and paul as he's writing to the thessalonian church he had gone there on his second missionary journey. There was a substantial Jewish population that was there. Paul found a church in Thessalonica and you can read about that. We'll get to that later on in the year in Acts chapter 17, kind of gives some description of what Paul was doing in Thessalonica and with the Thessalonian church there. And it was this letter that we read out of this morning was primarily written to encourage new believers in their faith. And Paul shares that there has been difficult challenges and oppositions that have come against the church, but that is the norm for believers, that we should walk in sanctification and that there are consequences to our belief in the resurrection of Jesus. What we come to church today to celebrate, there's a consequence to that if you say you believe it. This is where I want us to think about the message this morning. But there are consequences for you and I of our belief in the resurrection. I believe there's four of those that we can pull from our text this morning. The first being a belief in the resurrection is a belief that the Lord will return. The text says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Paul says that if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, that the consequence of that belief is that you also know the Lord will return again. We may think things will continue as they always have. In fact, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the world around us will say, these Christians have always said that something monumental is going to happen at some historical point in time. And look at how far along we are and it's never happened yet. But those who believe in the resurrection believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. There will be a historical moment in time when the Lord Jesus does come and he does split the sky and he does descend from heaven and he does meet his bride, the church, those who are part of that faith relationship with God. And why is this important? It is important because Paul said that if you believe Jesus died and rose again, that there is a consequence to that belief. And that consequence is that there is an affirmation that Jesus is coming back the resurrection secures for us the lord's return and hope in the lord's return causes us to persevere through the challenges of this life have any of you been challenged in this life is there anyone here in this congregation this morning that you've experienced challenges in your life and you said well i'd rather i had not gone through that Titus 2, 11 through 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession." zealous for good deeds. These things speak, exhort, and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. What Paul is saying to Titus in this particular passage is that you have to push away the sin, push away the desires for ungodly and unhealthy things and to long after the things of the Lord and the way you long after the things of the Lord is realize that he's coming again and realize that in his coming, he is coming to judge the earth. The hope of the Lord's return instructs us to deny ungodliness, deny worldly desires, to live sensibly and righteously and godly, looking for the blessed hope. Sometimes we don't want to look for the blessed hope because the ungodliness and worldly desires are more enticing to us than the blessed hope. Paul says to the Thessalonians, the resurrection gives us hope of the Lord's return. Titus, Paul says, the hope of the Lord's return causes us to seek to live righteously in our longing for his coming. See, this is one of the tales. If we're examining ourselves, and we ought to always examine ourselves. We had communion this morning, and Brother Anthony encouraged us to examine ourselves and to have a time of confession. And one of the reasons for that is we ought to always examine our hearts before the Lord. To see if we're truly walking in the way. Are you looking for the Lord's return? Today could be the day, could it not? Do we truly believe that? If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then we have to also believe that he is coming again. And if we believe that he's coming again, we have to live like he is coming again. See, those who claim Christ and yet continue to live unrighteously, I I don't see how they believe that he will even return. There have been times in my home, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I have seven children. My oldest is uh, 17. My youngest uh, will be six here in a few days. And there are times when uh, we are having a whirlwind cleanup in the house and getting everyone to put things together together. And I will say to them, uh, or their mother will say to them, we are coming upstairs to check your bedroom in five minutes. Nothing under the bed, nothing thrown in the corners, nothing in the closet. Now, if I give that statement to my kids, and I've backed it up before by actually coming up the steps and looking for them, what are they going to do? They're going to scurry about and get everything clean because they know I'm coming and I'm going to check. I'm going to check under the bed. I'm going to open the closet door. And when stuff is just kind of stuffed in, I'm going to pull it out and throw it back in the floor and say, do it again. And so they learn that if I say, I'm coming up in five minutes and it better be clean, that they'll begin scurrying around and making it happen. But if they know I'm occupied, I'm going to check your room but I don't give them a time. I'm not emphatic with my voice. They'll begin to get lazy. And as they begin to uh, clean out some of the things, I'll see those Legos that they had left under their bed three months ago that they forgot about. And now they start pulling them out. And what do they do? They stop cleaning and they start putting their toys together. (laughs) Or they see that broken toy that they stuffed under their bed because they didn't want their brother to find out that he had broken their toy. And they begin to see that and they'll think, oh, that's kind of interesting to play with right now. And they'll sit back and kind of wait because dad's not coming up. But if they think that dad's coming, they're scurrying, doing everything that they can do in order to meet the need of the moment. Christians who believe in the Lord's return live as if the Lord is returning. Secondly, a belief in the resurrection necessitates that we also believe that the dead will rise. Those who have gone on in the faith, a belief that the dead in Christ will rise. And this is key to us because it unites us, those of us who are present in this life, with those who have already gone on to their Reward those who are already uh, in the presence of Jesus as he unites the church here with the church that is there. The notion that the dead in Christ will rise also brings to us the importance that God places on the physical body. First Corinthians 15 13 through 19 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also is empty. If we don't believe that there is any resurrection, we're all just doing a fool's errand right here this morning. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. And if we don't believe that, That Jesus did not rise, for if the dead don't rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no hope for those who have fallen asleep. And if in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be most pitiable what the Apostle Paul is saying there. If we only believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but it it has no merit in the life that is to come, we're just kind of doing this for show to kind of conjure up in ourselves some sort of hope, and that hope is just to sort of help us along in this life. When we die, we just are in the grave, and that's it. But a belief in the resurrection necessitates that the dead in Christ will rise, Paul says that the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. See, the Bible's a package deal. You can't just take pieces that say Jesus loves us and God loves and these things, and you can't separate it out from the rest of the things. It's a package deal together. We can't do the cutting and pasting kind of thing. What we what we like and what we don't like set on the shelf aside. We have to take the package deal together. And if we believe in Jesus, we believe that I uh, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ saves us, we believe that he rose from the dead, then that also necessitates... That at one day, God is going to raise up those who have gone on. You either believe all of it or you can't believe any of it. Paul later in 1 Corinthians 15 asked the question, how are the dead raised up and what body do they come? And he answers this in verse 36, foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. What essentially he's saying here is that if you plant a kernel of corn in the ground, you don't expect a plant to grow and you get one kernel. But if you... Plant a kernel of corn in the ground. What you expect is that a corn stalk will grow that will produce many more kernels than what you actually put in the ground. There is a hope in the planting of the seed that there is a fruitfulness of the seed in order to bring joy to you and me. And that's the same thing that when someone passes on from this life in Christ, we lay them in the ground with a hope that even in that death, there is a better life for them to come. So also, just as the seed, it is the same with the resurrection of the body. The body is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. In essence, Paul is saying here that what we're putting in the ground is poor and pitiable and weak and susceptible to disease and susceptible to death, but when it is a believer who has professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we are looking for in the future is a hope that God by his power will raise that body up, an incorruptible body, an immortal body, a spiritual body that will in eternity give praise and exaltation to the Lord Jesus Christ. So for us as believers, Paul does not want us to grieve as those who have no hope outside of the church. See, this is where it really meets the road for you and me. It impacts how we react when someone in Christ dies. If we believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, and we believe that someone who has professed faith in him, though the body is broken and torn and in a difficult state, when we put it in the ground, we have a hope that one day that body will come out of the ground as the Lord Jesus came out of his ground on this day that we celebrate. I've had the privilege to stand with many people at funerals uh, throughout my time as serving as a pastor, some believers and some unbelievers. There's been times where I've gotten calls from a funeral home that the family just wanted someone to be there to say a few things but there was no belief no pastor no relationship they just wanted somebody they didn't care who to say a few kind words at someone's passing and it was oftentimes someone who is a unbeliever and the whole ceremony was seen somewhat just perfunctory uh kind of like a a necessary evil we got to do this this has got to happen and obviously and when i get in an opportunity like that. It's always an opportunity to share the gospel. It's always an opportunity to give hope to those who may not uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ, but for those who are generally gathered around the funeral of an unbeliever, it comes to just a sad end. Songs may be sung about some type of resting place, but no one really seems to believe or know anything about what they're singing. For the unbeliever, there is no song such as this one that says, yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. There is no sense of when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Amazing grace is absent for the unbeliever and all they truly think that they have left in front of them is their passed-on loved one, in essence, a human carcass in a box. But the funeral of a believer is quite different. Seems to be a greater sense at times of, of sorrow, of missing that person, that the believer has gone on, but it's also mixed with this idea of rejoicing and remembering. There's no sense of finality, but a sense of completion, that they've completed what was necessary in this life and they've made it on to their eternal reward. Believers realize that this life is but a vapor and gone. And that life is the seed that you plant in the ground. And if that person is in Christ, that life even then can produce much fruit for the kingdom. The consequences of the resurrection are that Christ will return and the dead will be raised. The third consequence of the resurrection is a belief that you and I, who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be caught up with him. Three phases of the Lord's return, the trumpet of God will announce his return, the dead in Jesus will be raised, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Paul tells the Thessalonians it this way, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. So the Lord Jesus comes from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ, those who have already passed on, who believe in Jesus as their savior, the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord. And this passage itself clarifies for us that the world will not continue as it always has. Things will not always continue to go on as they have always continued to go on. There will be a day when Jesus returns for his church. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 55, he says, O oh death, where is your sting? O oh Hades, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. This idea of that catching up to the Lord in. The clouds is not as we have kind of pictured it at times in television or movies or pictures that you might have seen, just kind of this kind of slowly sort of floating up into heaven to meet someone. The idea and the picture is that we would be caught up. It comes from uh, the word harpazo, which really means a quick and violent taking out. It's used in Acts 23 and 10, where Paul is before the chief priest, and he's giving a defense of his belief in Jesus. It says, and there arose a great dissension. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force, That's the idea of that word, from among them. And to bring him into the castle, it is a quick, fast move, pulling away, pulling out of, taking out of the Lord. When the shout comes, those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain, we will be caught up quickly, rapidly, instantaneously at the twinkling of an eye to be with the Lord. Book of Revelation speaks to us about this and John the Revelator says he saw a great multitude in heaven that were saying hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. And he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And he says hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever meaning sin and all its effects are being consumed. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worshiped God who sits on the throne saying amen and hallelujah and a voice came from the throne saying give praise to our God all you his bondservants, you who fear him the small and the great and then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters for the sound of the mighty peals of thunder saying hallelujah this is what you and I will be speaking in eternity for the Lord our God the almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and Give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Those of us who sat uh, around the table on Thursday evening and we enjoyed the Seder meal and what we have enjoyed today with uh, communion uh, in the, in the Passover meal or the Seder meal, there are four cups that are drank together. The, the first uh, three cups uh, Jesus had with his disciples, two cups before supper, two cups after supper. There's one cup that comes after supper and Lord is clear. It's the scriptures are clear to say that it was the cup after supper that Jesus utilized in the communion ceremony. And that's the third cup, the third cup. It's the cup after supper, but there's a fourth cup that is to come. And when the Bible speaks about this marriage supper, this time of coming together, when Jesus says, I won't eat of the fruit of the vine anymore until I eat it with you anew when I come into my kingdom. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for the conclusion of the meal that Jesus started with his disciples way back uh, 2,000 years ago. We're looking for the anticipation of the conclusion of that Meal. Finally, a belief, a consequence of the resurrection is a belief that we will always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4 and 17 says, simply that, and so we shall always be with the Lord. There will be no more worry, no more fear, no more sorrow. Can you imagine what that will be like? Can you imagine? what it will be like to be with the Lord forever in heaven. Deuteronomy 12 and 17 says, There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Psalm 16 and 11 says, In the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Zephaniah 3 and 17 says The Lord your God is in your midst A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness He will quiet you by his love He will exalt over you with loud singing First Chronicles 16, Chronicles 16 and 27 says Honor and majesty are found in his presence Strength and joy are found in his sanctuary Psalm 140 and verse 13 says Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name And the upright shall dwell in your presence That's what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever, rejoicing in peace and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. All of the things that tend to consume our minds on this earth, the challenges, the difficulties, the struggles, all of these things that tend to consume our mind, they will be no more. We cannot even fathom what it will be like in the presence of God, where we will rejoice and where there will be peace and where there will be a fullness of joy. We have never experienced fullness of joy in our life. Maybe there's times when we've got close or times where the well of joy has come up within us or times maybe even at that moment of salvation where we exalt the Lord with praise, with that fullness of joy that we have not experienced can be found only in his presence. Yes. The Apostle Paul finally tells us what we're to do with these words. Comfort one another. Comfort one another that the king is comfort coming Comfort one another that the dead in Christ will rise. Comfort one another that we shall be caught up together with those who have already gone on in the Lord and we will meet them in the air. Comfort one another that we shall be forever with the Lord. My final word to you this morning is that what I see in our day is a concerted effort by the enemy to divide. Why does the enemy want to divide? Why does the enemy want to separate us? Why does the enemy want to keep us apart? There is a reason. Because when we're kept apart, it's difficult for us to comfort one another. It's difficult for us to think about the resurrection. It's difficult to think about that when someone perishes, that one day they're going to rise because sometimes we get sorrowful and we need someone to come along to us and say, hey, there is hope. But in our day, And a season like no other that I believe has come upon the face of the earth, the enemy is seeking to divide worldwide. But you and I, as God's church, must stand unified, must stand together, must stand. Purposeful that we can encourage one another and comfort one another with the truth of the gospel. Amen. Please stand with me as we pray and come to a time uh, of committing ourselves to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gracious kindness towards us today. I thank you, Lord, on this Easter morning. Lord, this time where we celebrate the resurrection, where we rejoice in you, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you will help us to know that there are consequences to our belief in the resurrection. We can't just simply say, yeah, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If we truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead, there are consequences to that belief. And they impact how we live, how we think, where our hope is placed, how we gather together. So maybe this morning as I started out the message and I began to share what the gospel is. What does it mean to believe the gospel? Maybe something there resonated with your heart. Maybe you've had some sort of semblance of understanding at some point, but maybe it's this time that the Spirit of God moved upon you. What maybe you had thought about before, you sense a shift or a change in your life and now has become your earnest hope. I to invite you to come and let us pray with you. As our prayer leaders, if you would come If you need prayer this morning, making a renewed commitment to the Lord, or maybe a commitment for the first time, it's nothing supernatural about stepping out. It's simply step out to say, hey, I'm making a commitment here. I'm doing things differently. I'm going to make a change. You're affirming to yourself and to others. The time has come for me to commit my heart, commit myself to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and the trials of life have challenged you. Maybe you feel like at times you're beating your head against the wall. You're trying to follow the Lord. But it just doesn't seem to be happening for some reason. The Lord wants to help you in this moment. He wants to help you to understand that there are greater things that you're striving for than just a simple peace in this life, simple steadiness, ease in this life. That you're striving for a blessed hope, something that supersedes this life. feel like at times you're having to look up to see the bottom. You need hope today. The Lord desires to meet you. As an act of faith, I would just invite you to come. There could be those who would pray with you. As they lead us in worship here for just a few moments, let's focus our hearts on the Lord and seek Him earnestly today. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week. And may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.